0: Welcome to Note Doctors. My name is Paul. My name is Jen. And we are your hosts. We are all university music theory instructors who are passionate about music theory and music theory instruction. In this podcast, we will be talking about all things theory with some of the best music theory teachers in the country. If you want to know more about music theory and the most effective and innovative ways to teach it, this is the podcast for you. welcome back to another episode of Note Doctors, the Music Theory and Pedagogy podcast. Thank you so much for joining us on this quite special occasion, uh, because this episode is a collaboration with the fine folks at the Journal of Music Theory Pedagogy. So what is the Journal of Music Theory Pedagogy? Well, it is the place to find the most up-to-date and innovative research done in the area of music theory pedagogy. Um, And so a few months ago, we reached out to uh, the folks there and thought about doing an episode or two where we featured authors of articles from their upcoming uh, volumes. So the latest volume, which will be coming out in the new year, we're going to be featuring one of the authors in this episode. So we want to thank the folks at JMTP, Steve Lates, Jenny Snodgrass, Rebecca Jemian, David Thurmeyer, all the folks on the editorial board for coming on board uh, with this collaboration. And if you want to find out more about what the JMTP is all about, you can go to the website at jmtp.appstate.edu. It's totally free. You can research past issues. It's a wonderful, wonderful wonderful resource to get some new ideas and to find out what people are doing in the area of music theory pedagogy. So our guest today is Aaron Grant, and we're going to be talking to him about his upcoming paper in the JMTP called Cultivating Career Skills Through Public Music Theory and Community Engaged Learning. So Aaron Grant is, actually, I don't have my thing pulled up here. Uh, Ben, tell us a little bit
1: more about Aaron Grant and where he comes from. He's from Missouri Western State University. He is an assistant professor of music theory there, where he coordinates the music theory core sequence. His research engages issues of form, narrative, and meaning in 19th century music, particularly in the music of Franz Schubert and Louise Ferrand. In addition to his work on 19th century form, Aaron's pedagogical research focuses on connecting the music theory classroom to other disciplines and the public sphere. His work can be seen in the Journal of Music Theory Pedagogy, Engaging Students, 19th Century Music Review, and he has a forthcoming article in Music Theory Spectrum.
2: The kernel that that keep, keeps me going with these types of assignments is like I think of myself as a listener. Like, what is, what would, what would undergrad me who didn't know what theory was, what would have made me excited to go to a concert? You know, like what would have made me excited to, or feel like I just learned more about the piece or heard the, I guess to use Lewin's term about analysis, like what would make me hear the piece differently, right? Um, The whole point of a good analysis is to make us hear a piece differently. And I think that's something, especially my music ed students, um, like they, they really take to heart or I try to instill in them is, is that like, it may seem like, There's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of baggage with theory, but, but at its core, what we're trying to do is get, is get people to hear things differently. Um, and I think part of that is meeting people where they are, but of course that's extremely hard.
0: (laughs) So today our very special guest is Aaron Grant. We're so happy to have you on the podcast to talk with you about your paper and to be our first guest of, we hope many, um, that are from uh, from articles from the JMTP and so as the Journal for Music Theory Pedagogy. And so if uh, as we're listening and, and Aaron's talking, you know, if you're more if you're interested in more of what uh, he has to say and what he's uh, done, you know, check out his article, it's going to be out uh, in the beginning of the new year on the Journal of Music Theory Pedagogy website. And so we're thrilled to have you on to talk about public music theory community engaged learning and those types of things. Uh, but we always like to ask our guests just kind of before we get into the meat of the conversation, just a little bit about, you know, how you got into music theory. I mean, was it overhearing your theory professors arguing over whether to label a chord a one, six, four, or a five, six, four, or a CAD six, four. And you're like, I got to find out what this is all about, you know, um, oh, or maybe something completely other than that.
2: I, uh, I probably have like one of the weirder, Ways to get into music theory because it was a complete accident um, and in, in, incredibly unintentional. Um, I actually wanted to go to grad school for musicology. Um, I went to undergrad at Penn State. They had a five-year program where you could do a master's degree uh, in your in your fourth and fifth year. Um, applied to musicology, got rejected. But then, as I got rejected, it had like a the rejection letter had this very strange sentence in it that said. We do encourage you, however, to apply to the theory program. And I said, "What's theory?" Uh, and, but, all, but undergrad me also was like, "Well, I like master's degree. Might as well do what the what the nice rejection letter says." Um, so I did, uh, and ended up like lo- and ended up loving it. Uh, I mean, I think it was it was a matter of at the time I had I had taken. Um, one uh graduate level analysis course at penn state and uh my teachers just kind of knew knew me and knew that really what i wanted to do was theory and not actually musicology and so i think that was their subtle way of guiding me in, in my uh naive undergrad ways um so i've i have since thanked maureen carr for that uh for for doing that for me i'll, I'll uh a while ago because yeah I mean I I wouldn't have done it other, otherwise and it was definitely the right move. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. The first time I think we've heard someone say a rejection letter directing you into a different area. I mean it was helpful, right? I mean that's a yeah, helpful well, that's rejection right. letter.
2: I distinctly remember showing it to my wife and being like I think this is them telling me to do something else, but but maybe this is just my anxiety. Like,
1: <laughs> when one door closes, another door opens, and that door just might be music theory. There you go. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's
0: great. So we are here to talk specifically about your paper uh, that's titled. I have it right here: Cultivating Career Skills Through Public Music Theory and Community Engaged Learning. So give us a little, you know, elevator pitch about what your article is kind of all about before we dive into it.
2: Sure. Um, really, I think this, this article kind of came about because of when I started teaching here, I got, I I did what I think a lot of people do is I assigned final papers as part of my, um, final papers as part of my classes. And, um, and I found myself kind of being a little less than satisfied with the buy-in that I was getting from from those research papers, because of course, like me, theorist is like,
0: yes, research, this is going to be the best day ever. But um, <laughs> it, it it
2: turns out that not all my undergrads feel that way. Um, and so I and so I was thinking to myself about like what are the, some of the different ways in which I can like get the same sorts of the same sorts of, or build the same sorts of skills that you get for the research paper but in uh, using other mediums and at this time while I was contemplating this um I think it was the original pet into practice where um it was around that time and I and I know my I remember talking to my good friend Amy Fleming and we we had just gotten to know um Danny Jenkins's work on public music mm-hmm. theory and and we were like well this has a ton of potential like I know he's doing a grad class but like let's like what if we just like did this all the time and what if we did this in our in our undergrad classes and so um that was kind of the genesis of this of this for me is just kind of being like well yeah this kind of makes a lot of sense like i i myself am a crazy podcast head and was like well i would have in an under as an undergrad would have loved to be able to make podcasts or would have loved to be able to you know do some research and be able to flex my creative skills in, in a way that uh that felt more relevant, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then as that evolved, I kind of I, I kept, again, being a little bit dissatisfied with. Okay, well, they made a podcast that feels that feels kind of nice. I've done something good, but the community. But I felt like it was one step short of where it needed to be because they. Because I'm like, well, they made it, but why aren't they like actually showing it to people? Why aren't we actually like engaging the community that I'm trying to that I'm trying to work with? Um, and so that's, it's sort of the gen- the genesis of this entire thing is just kind of like, and, and I mean, I think we all go through this as teachers, we, we try something, we realize, hey, I'm dissatisfied about this, I want to do, uh, what are some of the ways I can fix it, let me try it again another way, and then let me try it again another way, and it, and it continues to evolve.
3: So your paper has like five kind of small, easy to input projects that's the first the first part of it describes these five projects could you tell us more about those and kind of where those ideas came from
2: yeah absolutely i mean i think when so uh, this is kind of like an offshoot of what we were just talking about is that i wanted i i came i came up with the idea of like what if students like, what if we wanted to train our students to actually like talk about theory in, 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 a, in a to to the public? Well, if we actually want to talk about theory to the public, it turns out this is really freaking hard, um, mm-hmm. like really hard. And I and so I began with a big with the big project. Actually, whatever part I think it's part two of my article. I talk about that, and that's we start. I started there, but noticed that a lot of my students just kind of freaked out, like got the gear and headlights moment. And so next go around, um. I started trying to incorporate some smaller pr- exercises throughout the semester to get to kind of get them ready for it. Um, mm-hmm. And again, I can't take full credit for all of the for all of these things. My friend Owen Owen Belcher and I have had a bunch of conversations about how to do this because he also is extremely interested. We have an article in uh, Engaging Students about more of these kind of small scale um, ideas. Uh, so we, we did everything from like pre-concert, from pre-concert lectures to program notes, to teaching, to teaching demos. Um, I really like in particular the, the idea of using, of having students translate pieces into kind of graphic analyses. Um, the idea stemming from, uh, I feel like I get all my ideas from my friends. So i apologize if I just like <laughs> shout out a whole bunch of people, but like my, my my friend Dan my friend Dan Ketter showed me one he's, a, he's the he's a cellist and a theorist at Missouri State and um, he showed me the Toronto Symphony Orchestra's uh, graphic analyses at one point. Um, and we collaborated actually on for to do one of our own for um, for a concert that he was doing and I thought, "Well, this is really fun. We should do this for like I should do this in my classes." It's fantastic, and um we have since like traded traded assignments um and I think my students kind of enjoy again being able to take theory and apply it in in ways that feel more real world I feel I feel like I could do this uh, I could do this and show my parents and they actually know what I'm talking about.
1: Mm-hmm. I did that exact thing at a Dallas Symphony concert where you had a, an app on your phone and while you were listening to the concert, you had this app up and it would show you a different kind of color scheme and different sections of the piece and then what sections you were in. It would even have like a zoomed out view of the piece and then they could zoom into a certain section and then there was just a short description, you know, not super technical like you said, you know, very relatable to a person who doesn't read music, a person who doesn't know, you know what a sonata form is, et cetera. And you know, following that, I, there were a lot of people that had, that had it um, on, around me. And I found it really useful and I think it's something that you know, uh, can be really uh, rewarding for students to make for other people, make it more relatable too, to people they're talking to on campus and stuff.
2: Well, and also, I mean, like you said, it as a listener, you may, it makes a big difference for you. And so, I think like that's that's kind of where like my the kernel that that keeps me going with these types of assignments is like I think of myself as a listener. Like, what is what would what would undergrad me who didn't know what theory was kind of or like when I was a I guess when I was a freshman and I didn't know theory at all. Uh, like, what would what would have made me excited to go to a concert? You know, like what would have made me excited to or feel like I just learned more about the piece or heard the I guess to use Lewin's term about analysis like what would make me hear the piece differently right Um, the whole point of a good analysis is to make us hear a piece differently and I think that's something especially my music ed students um, like they they really take to heart or I try to instill in them is is that like it may seem like there's a lot of I mean, there's a lot of baggage with theory, but at, but at its core, what we're trying to do is get is get people to hear things differently. Um, mm-hmm. And I think part of that is meeting people where they are, but of course, that's extremely hard,
3: <laughs> yeah, right? yeah well, right. We're trying to get people to hear labels and see sounds. I mean, it's like a it's a really complicated thing we're asking for actually of our students. and I think too, we've all had that experience of like somebody asks you what you do. And you're like, oh no. <laughs> I usually just say something like, I'm a music professor. And if they're like, oh, do you teach voice? I'm like, well, no. <laughs> no it's, it's <laughs> what, do I do what do you teach something called Yeah, <laughs> what do you play? Or it, it, you know, you say, oh, I, do you I, sing? I, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and I've often said things like, Oh, it's like being an English teacher where the first couple of semesters you teach grammar and syntax and then later on when students understand more, you teach literature and deeper cultural meanings and things like that but you're still having to rely on other things and a lot of times people are just like nicely nodding. So I love the idea of giving your students right out the gate the the notion that music theory is applicable to things that they will be doing in their careers and it's a valuable way for them to be able to explain their, you know, take what they know and give it to other people, which is something all musicians have to do in some way shape or form.
2: No, exactly. I mean, you in like one of the one of the assignments that I that I did that I like I, I secretly like loved talking about this in the article because I got to mention the Great Trailer Park musical, which is actually surprisingly good, but a, like a ridiculous name. Um, I'm also um, I walked into that being like, OK, so that's what we're doing now. I'm I am. That was my first year here. And I was like, so these are the types of musicals. OK. <laughs> as like a musical like head, I was like, OK, uh, but we but it's it's actually really like it's actually pretty good. Um, but we but I had my students write, you know, a pre-concert like announcement for the, uh, that. Were they were they going to be pr- putting this on themselves or as as a music educator, as a performer, as or maybe just like publicizing this? If, if you're a music tech person. Um like, how would you get people excited? It beyond just being like, "It's really good." I swear, it's really good. Please come. It's really good, you know. And I think that's again, like talking about the the kind of career applicability. It's that's something that 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 does matter.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I remember like after I first went to see Frozen with my wife and and Lucas, my four year old son, I was trying to explain to her how let the storm rage on. It was, like, really cool because it was, like, a flat three, you know, and that's, like, modal mixture and all this. And I was, like, oh, I'm already beyond, you know, like, I'm already beyond, like, what she can, like, relate to. My wife doesn't read music. She's not a musician. She sings happy birthday. It's in, like, three different keys.
2: I sympathize so, like, with that. My wife's the same way on all, th- on all three counts. So. I
1: have learned so much trying to explain just something like that to her. You know what I mean? And it just mm-hmm. it, uh, it mm-hmm. forces you to, like, think back to what really makes something – What really, like, in most basic human terms, you know, what really makes a a certain musical moment cool, you know, like, like you're saying, like, why do I, why is that tune cool? Or why is this particular moment happening the way it does, like, um, and just describing those types of things so that people will be brought in and want to come into our kind of artistic world with us, you know what I mean? Um,
2: No, totally. And I think it's one of those, like, once you start asking those questions, like, a lot of doors start to open. I remember, I think... It might have been the very last Pet End into Practice. Um, uh, Dan Stevens did a keynote, and he was talking about improvisation, and he brought out these Legos. And and we got to do, like, everyone got some Legos, and you had to, like, make a little Lego figure first, and then you make a little piece. You improv a little piece based on these Legos. And and I'm I'm like, oh, my God. Like, if you just, like, what he's really asking us to do is start to think about, is, is start to, like, think about abstraction in a a different way um, and start to like link music to abstraction in a very, very creative way. And I think like to go back to kind of like the graphic analysis, like if you we used to do. um, No, sorry, I think I think Dan did this actually sent this to me at one point. He had his students doing graphic analyses of first chorus forms. Um, and just kind of being like, how do we explain verse chorus form in a like a general sort of way? like And it's really interesting to 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 see what students kind of take and distill into a, into a, into a graphic. Um, I do something kind of similar when I introduce binary forms actually where I, I'm like, if I told you there's a form that started like stable and then it like alternated like this stable section followed by like some unstable stuff. Like I want you guys to like, just imagine this exists and then add some repeat signs and we're going to, and we're, and, and I want you to like do this, but I want you to like come up with a piece that were this the case, what would you do? Um, and then they come and you know, they, they basically recreating Danny's thing in in a kind of a different way. Um, and, and then introducing binary form like the actual the actual phenomenon they're like oh like i kind of get like it helps them i think remember things a little bit better is when you Mm -hmm. kind of can can take those can can take that distillation um and just kind of present it to them in a different way or have them figure out their own distillation for themselves too in this case
3: yeah it's form is something that for us is often so clear. And then it's so baffling when you give a test and a student writes binary and you're like, but the idea came back. Like, it's just not possible. (laughs) Were you listening? You know, and I think I love the idea of having them conceive of it first and then interacting with the music that's like that. And
0: Mm. that's really good. Yeah, because the music notation can sometimes be a problem mm-hmm. just looking at it. You know, they can't look at a score and be like, "Oh, clearly that's a rounded binary." No, they're like just trying to figure out what the key signature is, right?
2: Yeah, well, exactly. And I don't know about your students, but especially like if there's like a, if there's a sequence in there, my students are like, "Oh my goodness, there's a sequence." I don't, actually probably what they're saying is, "Oh my god, there's accidentals," <laughs> <laughs> and
0: like. <laughs> they don't even have that term there right? yeah I,
2: I, well yeah I mean I think it's just because for at least where I put that sort of stuff in the curriculum it's like right i think it's right after sequences if I remember properly and so um'm and and so they're still kind of like germinating that but for me I'm just like well it's obvious like this like what's going on and um but yeah and and so getting them to to like get in your right about exactly about the uh the the notation gets in the way mm hmm and I think maybe like I'm in a unique situation where I teach in a well, not unique, but I, I teach in an open enrollment institution where uh, like some like some of my students come in. It, open enrollment meaning like there's no audition; any student can be a music major, doesn't matter who you are, and which is a really great goal. But it also means that you know a good number of my students come in and they're like, "Music's cool. I want to do music." And you're like, "You don't know notation yet," and so I we they have to start freshman year learning notation and you know trying mm-hmm. to do sequences. By semester, by three semesters after that, or two semesters yeah. after that, is just like it's a lot of brain power. To, like mm-hmm. I have super respect for every single one of those students, yeah. um, and so and, and so like it, the notation literally kind of gets in the way of them understanding it because it's just so imposing for some of them.
3: Mm-hmm. So just I'm just curious, are they getting like a, a Bachelor of Arts in music, or like a, a professional degree, like a Bachelor of Music in music, something Ooh. or? Ooh. We have
2: bachelor what? music, bachelor music education, and we just mm-hmm. instituted a bachelor of musical arts degree, um, which yeah, is we a have that too. yeah. It's my I, it's my little like, that's my that's my baby. I like made that. I, I was one of the people who helped make that. I was really. It's a
3: cool I, degree. that sort of hybrid. It's like half professional degree, half liberal arts degree. I like it. I think it's really neat.
2: I'm super into it.
3: So talk to us a little bit
0: about the big project. You mentioned that when you first started. Um, implementing these things, you started with this kind of big project and we've talked a little bit about the small scale projects, the concert reviews, the graphic scores, the pre-concert lectures, but you also mentioned in the article a kind of a larger scale project that you like to do. So talk to us a little bit about that and kind of how you scaffold that um, project throughout the semester so students can kind of work towards that as you're going along. Totally,
2: yeah, Uh, and again, I'll... I'll... (laughs) This is, I probably shouldn't mention these types of things, but it's fine. I, like, the scaffolding came from, because I didn't scaffold enough the first time. So I tried, I got. I had this beautiful idea. And that like, happens Ooh. to all of
0: us. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm,
2: yeah. I'm like, yeah. I, I got this great idea, and it's going to be amazing. They're going to love it. And then I did it, and, and I was like, wow, that, um, some things turned out not great. Um... And so I, I, I realized, I think like the second semester I pulled this final project out where, um, where I guess I should say what it is in the first place, which is that students, instead of writing a final paper, the, the students either um, they can write a newspaper article, they can write, uh, they can um, record a podcast, they can make a YouTube video um, or uh, actually those are the three things. Yes, um, a- either analyzing a piece or teaching a concept, which again, was a kind of like, we had, we have a lot of music education majors. I was like, I want to be able to kind of reach both those students both those populations. Um, and so what I in particular found was that I don't know how theory is at other places, but ours happens before, even before a lot of our music education students have like a formal education class. Like they don't like know how to write lesson plans. They don't know how to do a lot of things. They've got some like innate interest and skill in teaching, but in terms of like formalized practice, not so much. Um, and so what I found after the first time was that a lot, and I'll just talk about, I'll say two big problems happened. One is that students did a lot of blow-by-blow blow analyses and what am i i old musicology professor used to call it like the chemistry paper paper approach to um or the, the yeah the chemistry paper approach to uh mm-hmm. to analysis which is, is just boring um mm-hmm. or the um or if they're teaching they would just skip so many steps of like where of where a student would be um just so many steps they'd be like well okay so we've got uh if you're trying to teach i don't know uh text painting for instance you're like oh well we're gonna listen to frozen hey did you notice that text painting there you're like you didn't <laughs> you didn't explain text painting you didn't say what you didn't tell us you didn't <laughs> tell us to listen to the words you didn't, listen, you didn't explain what text painting was and it's not their and it's not their fault. Like it's not their fault at all. It's that you're is that you're asking them to do something that they don't have any training in doing. Um, and so uh, and so I started basically to try to mitigate this as much as possible. And my scaffolding has kind of increased as I've mm-hmm. as I've continued. Um, I got the idea for this scaffolding. I think first from Samantha Inman has a really wonderful article on on actually writing paper on how to scaffold papers and JMTP something a couple of years ago um and so i kind of jerry-rigged that into in, into this so, so the idea is that you first propose the project which this helps avoid students being like i'm going to uh, analyze all of all of the music and then and and then explain the music to people and you're like wait no no you can't you you can't explain what music is to people no right let's think smaller which of course like this is a research problem right this is and it's this this is any research paper the the first thing that people have to learn is scope um and so we're teaching them that there um after that i have them outline things either outline or give some sort of a or give some sort of a lesson plan, which in the case of lesson plans helps me give, give students feedback on how to make a lesson plan for, um, at a stage where they may not have any training, but really eager to do so. Um, or in the case of analysis, like I'm basically teaching them how to do a research, how to write and, um, how to write and structure a research paper. They're just presenting it in a different way. Um, again, usually a scope problem too in terms of like i'm gonna talk about like every single note in the entire piece for this long you're like no i don't think so don't do that um rough draft would be the it would be the third stage and that's just to kind of like stave off if there are some uh, just to kind of be like yeah you're on the right track here's where usually it's just again a cutting problem um either a cutting problem or in the case of teaching you'll if you ever try it try this is i find a lot of students try to be really funny uh, and uh the entire project just ends up being them with a comedy routine with that which at the end they say and that's text painting um that would be me in undergrad that would be me in undergrad, oh for sure again i, do, I don't fault anybody mm-hmm. on this but I, like I, I think we were talking earlier about an snl skit and i and i had a i had students who did an snl skit um and this was the first semester i did this and that's basically what happened it was just a whole bunch of like uh what are those like slap gags or something like yeah that uh um that came out of nowhere and then with about like 10 or 15 percent theory and when i and so the rough draft helps me fix that 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 ratio a little bit um and then and then i have them have students like at that point i mean i've given them all critique I possibly can. And so, but, but I think it's helpful for them at that point to see, to have peer uh, evaluations, both because their student, their, their peers oftentimes have better things to say than me because I'm a one trick pony. Um, And two, because I think they, it's good for them to see what their, what their peers are doing.
3: I I have found, I do, peer evaluation when I teach the form class and they write a paper, they, they read each other's papers and I don't tell them that that's going to happen. I find it works really well when they don't know it's coming. Mm -hmm. Um, But one of the things I've discovered is that it's almost like they're used to receiving feedback from teachers. And so sometimes it's easy for that to kind of wash over them. And they're like, well, I mean, she's always going to tell me I have to fix something. But when their peer is like, I don't know what your thesis statement is. (laughs) It's a whole other ball game. And so I I think you're right. It's not just even that we don't have all the ideas. It's that sometimes hearing it from, you know, somebody who's also writing the same paper is a really helpful thing. And they can, it feels different to them. They can receive it differently.
2: Can't agree more. And I, yeah. And I think it's uh, just to, to kind of like riff on that for, for a hot second. I think it's, it's not just more impactful, but it's also just, it's also good for them to be able to like, They they learn things through critique, in the same in in the same way that I think I've learned to be a better writer not through writing but I think through like dissecting the writing of people I like. Mm
3: -hmm. Mm -hmm. And also being edited, you know, like Mm -hmm. not just the writing but the having to go back and rewrite your own stuff and you know all of those things where you realize oh yeah I guess that doesn't really make sense or I could be clearer here or I could say less in this spot.
2: Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed.
3: I did notice, like, the timeline of your of the project is really tight. So, like, toward it's it's all kind of towards the last couple weeks of the semester for the big project. They do their rough draft, and then like a week later, it's the next stage and the next stage. And as I was looking at that, I was like, I mean, it's really smart because they don't do it until it's assigned anyway. Like, it's not like you give them a month and they don't do it until like three days before that month is up anyway. So in that way, it's really smart. But I was thinking more about have you ever felt kind of a crunch at the end there with guiding these projects? Or are you just not? Is that kind of the primary homework that you're receiving from them at that stage? You know,
2: I... I have two answers to this one is that like i think i've actually felt like it's been pretty okay like there's a little bit of a crunch when it comes to the the only real crunch is when it comes to actually like recording things they they mm. they sometimes struggle to find the time to do that and but i think with with adequate warning i found that this to be like hey guys like this is gonna the rest of this is probably gonna take you maybe like an hour or two like you'll be like you can kind of leisurely get through this but just heads up recording things is hard and the week when you have to do your rough draft is going to be really a, not a fun one for you. It's probably you're probably going to have to spend like a few hours doing this. Um, I, I think with enough warning, like that my students tend to be okay, tend to be okay with it. And mm-hmm. a lot of them, especially since I let them do it in groups, um, a lot of them have like a ton of fun with it. They they like really, really, really enjoy. Doing it, I think they especially like trying to get a rise out of me in in, in a lot of cases. Um, Like I had a student once do a project where he he explained verse-chorus forms through. uh, He was a he was a mad musicologist who came out of a Ouija board, and I'm like. (laughs) What is this?
0: Uh, <laughs>
2: Not just a musicologist,
1: real... a mad musicologist.
0: <laughs> it was,
2: it was really well done. It, uh, may, it gave a lot of Breaking Bad vibes, but it was like, <laughs> uh, but I, I, I'm like, I'm convinced that he was just like, let's see how crazy, because because I think they all think I'm crazy, and it's like, let's see how if I can like up him. I'm like, okay. <laughs> um, it, it, but the real crunch that I actually find when it comes to implementing this is like it takes about like my, my timeline at least that i use now is about you know five weeks you, pa- you pass the, fi- the sign-up sheet five weeks in and you got a 15-week semester um and so while it's tight for the project the real problem comes in that it can be challenging to find enough kind of upper level things for them to talk about um depending mm-hmm. on how your depending on how your curriculum is structured um and so you know when i first came in, I, t- I took the curriculum, I, I, I came in, like so many other people, uh, replacing somebody else, I took their curriculum and just kind of implemented it. And their curriculum was a lot of chord, 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 which I think a lot of people do, like, and uh, myself included. Um, but then you, if you get to week 10, and you haven't done, like, no one's going to do this project and be like, I'm going to explain, like the use of the subdominant in the uh, to, to, to people, because that's just too much baggage. Um, and so I think that you have to be kind of tactful about what sorts of topics you introduce before with an idea of these are going to be topics that are good for good for translation. Um, so a lot of my students, for instance, like my my current curriculum, we do a lot of pop music um, in their last uh, we focus a ton on on pop music specific techniques um, in that last semester and so I have students who like can explain like a chord loop to people or can explain verse chorus form or can explain text painting like these are types of things that you don't necessarily like need to to spend 10 minutes explaining what a what a roman numeral is to somebody before you get to there or like the 12 bar blues for instance is, it makes it, a lot of students choose that as a topic too um so I think there is like that's if I have to say a limitation to this type of project is is that you have to think about what um have to think about what types of theory topics actually do translate well because some don't it's
3: very true because
0: the audience ultimately is the uninformed right The amateur mm-hmm. the public right that that can't that doesn't know roman numerals or all these other things yeah
2: no and it's why i like i did this um i did this last year with uh my fun or the last two years with my fundamentals crew like people who are like learning to read and write music for the first time um, and that actually worked out really well because you could do cause actually what I ended up doing was I had, I gave everyone kind of like from the beginning, I'm like here, okay, you're going to do notation and you're going to do like simple meters and you're going to do, and, and you're going to do, uh, eighth notes or something. And like that way we could actually, um, we could actually put on like a show for the school and someone could walk into that, like not knowing how to read or write music and kind of walking out there being like, Oh, I like, I see the progression here. Like uh, a, little, a little mini, like class uh, on on how to on how to understand music at at a, at a basic level.
0: Well, you need to describe this more. I'm imagining this like. Waiting for Guffman, like, a uh, community theater show where you have the fundamentals class, like, now up is Simple Meter, and you have these little song and dance, and then... Oh, you are thinking of it exactly correctly. Oh. <laughs> okay,
3: please invite us next oh, year. Yeah, this
2: was, this was, this was, uh, I I told you, I am a little nut. I'm a little nuts. And so we, we actually put on a music, it called the Music Theory Extravaganza or something. I think uh. that's what I called it. Um, like the Missouri Western music theory extravaganza. And that's, I, I actually, I write this in the, uh, or I was talking about this in the, in the CEL portion of the article where it's a like putting on, I, I told my students, I'm like, you're going to put on a TED Talk for people. And so what we did was we alternated fundamentals people with kind of my theory for um, students. Uh, who And so we do like, I'm going to teach you notation. Okay, well, now we're going to go and talk about like, all right. And now we're going to talk about verse chorus forms. All right, and then we go back. And now we're going to talk about like I don't know. Again, twelve bar blues. I'm just I'm I primed myself, and now I can't think of anything else. Um, but uh, or and at that time and at that time, I actually had students. Some students had chosen. I gave them the option to do um, to do research papers. But if they wrote a research paper, they had to explain it to a non. Uh, they had to explain their research or analysis paper to a non. Uh, to a non-specialist, as part of this, and so like, someone then was like, "I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go expi- er, explain my analysis of equilibrique for for instance. Excuse my uh, ridiculously bad German there, but um, I I tried to make it as like fun as possible." Um, with a, and it was, I think with one big caveat, which is that don't combine two classes worth of things, because then it turns out that your, that your Ted talk is like three hours long and no one wants to and no one wants to stay for three hours, myself included.
1: (laughs) I love it. The entertainment value is really important. I have to say my classes are large. Y'all probably know this already from me talking on the podcast, but I often, um, use caricatures while i'm teaching in the class like the other day we were talking about koji kondo and i had like this character link like with a cape and a sword and everything like they were so sucked into that and it you know it was just because they were kind of following the story like alongside like the the theme from legend of zelda with this little character link Mm -hmm. you know and little and neapolitan you know and it was just like oh my goodness you know i would have never like even thought to do that in a past version of myself, but like now it's like a part of my thing, you know, like it's like a part of that talk, you know, to do like the caricatures and like the entertainment values there, but also like there's this artistic depth to it that goes like right alongside with that. And I I think that's important, especially when you're creating content that like, you know, is really consumable out there you know in the public or reddit i think you mentioned reddit in your in your article too it's like you know if you want to make something that's really going to like kind of attract um a little following or really suck people in in some way there has to kind of be like yes high content value for sure no i think think talked about this too but also like the other side of that like that engagement like entertainment value has to be something there totally and i think that's actually
2: one of the harder things for students to hear when you give this kind of when you work with these types of assignments is that especially with this final project you know sometimes i i mean some people have more of a creative spin than others i will admit that i'm like i'm a good critiquer of creative content but i'm probably not like very good at it i have extreme i've got like nonstop dad jokes and nothing else um <laughs> and uh and so when it comes so when it comes to like giving critiques i find myself um one of the bigger critiques that I have is like watch your like watch your video again like would would you as a learner be really interested in, in this, or are you kind of just reading from a script and are you going are you like knight of the living dead and just a zombie and i and like <laughs> i I think that's hard for people to it's hard for people to grasp and it's hard for people to hear um but Again, it, it's like it is a skill, and I think it's a skill that's important, as you say, not just not just if you're going to make podcasts, but if you're going to be a teacher or if you're going to like promote yourself in any or your work in any way. Like you need to be engaging, and like that, I I I had to learn that. I remember when I first learned or when I first taught at Penn State, it was a freaking disaster because I like didn't oh it such a disaster because I thought. I thought I'll just be sage on stage, I think is the term right, and I'm just gonna right, sit right. there and i'm gonna and I'm gonna deliver a perfectly crisp and clear information. It's gonna be great, and then it was a utter failure um and like and I learned from that that don't do that like it turns out being yourself like yourself, and I tell this to my students all the time, like you as a person is much better uh, will be much more engaging than you as script, like all mm-hmm. anyone wants to do is watch you is is just learn from somebody who knows something from someone else and who's just treating you like a person, right? And like, you don't need to be super comedy, but you do need to be like a person.
0: (laughs) So you have these assignments, these different uh, uh, public music theory assignments in your classes. Uh, I'm curious to know what is the weighting of those assignments compared to, you know, I'm assuming there's other assignments that you have in the semester, are they homework, other tests, quizzes, um, those other things, how do you balance all the different kind of assignments that you would have in a, in a normal semester?
2: I think this is hard for everyone, right? Like it's, and it mm-hmm. differs depending on, and I like the, it was a, it's, it's, I think it depends on your student population too. Cause I mean like the amount of homework we gave at Eastman was a lot different than the amount of homework I give now. Um, not just because of them, but because my teaching loads so much different too. But, um, but I think like when it comes to these types of assignments, I, I, you can kind of see most of the, or when or if people, if people decide to read this, they, uh, if the, 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 assignments that are the examples that I give are actual assignments that I give my students. And they're most of the time when I'm giving, especially the preliminary assignments, um, they're not usually like. Here, go do this thing. It's normally like I'm gonna guide you through a what would I think be a, norm, a more normal like music theory assignment. Like do some Roman numerals. Like think about I'm looking at for instance this uh, this Hensel uh, Dubis um an assignment that I have. Like think about the text of this of this. Now think about the form of the song. Now think about like this particular harmonic moment, um, which. If we just stopped there, would be probably a pretty good theory assignment, or at least a pretty like standard theory assignment at the very least. Um, but I've always been the kind of person that, like, as an undergrad, I—I'll admit it's not my teacher. I will say this out front: it is not my teacher's fault. It's my fault. But I find, but I had a hard time understanding the why behind things. I had a hard a hard time. Like, being like, okay, well, I got that, like, four chord here. Like, n- now what? Like, what's the point? And that was, especially when I figured out the now what, like, that's when theory was like, this is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like most, anytime I give a, like, labels or have students label things or have students, like, put names to things, I always want to end that assignment with a now what? With a, with a why. And... And I think what I usually do is replace that "why," which may, which I think in most the assignments would be like a think about this and like write a paragraph or two on, on the the use of mode mixture and its uh, and and how it makes you sad. I don't sorry, that's a terrible terrible assignment, but um, <laughs> but you can replace those sort of short answer questions with a public music theory component. And I think it serves the same, it serves that same purpose, which is that we want you to to like think about things at a higher level than just kind of putting labels on the paper. And, and I think in doing so, it helps, it helps students get to that. Like, Oh, I see the point. Um, And, and especially when it's a, when it's more of a public music theory thing, there's a, there's a dual edge. There's that, Oh, this is interesting, which is good for some students, but not every student is going to be like intrigued by that sort of thing. Um, maybe like, and I or like going to be like innately in love with that sort of thing is maybe better. I think a lot of students, I, sh- I shouldn't say that. Um, but I think just as motivating, I mean, some other students might be more motivated by the fact that like, Oh, like, this is cool, but I really like the fact that I can then apply that cool thing to the to the rest of my life. Like it's not just a this is cool. Like we don't have to stop there. We can then bring it over. And if I'm going to teach, I would like I would next time I uh, next time I conduct this for my band, like we can we can actually like use this this observation.
0: Yeah,
2: oh, and I just to
0: know. Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
2: I was going to say I think I just talked too much and didn't actually answer your your question, which is that <laughs> which is the actual waiting. Uh, also a, per, a, a a failing of mine, which is talking too much. Um, the uh, I, I probably put these in maybe every two or three weeks It would be a, probably a good kind of a, a good kind of bet. It's not every assignment because I think uh, I, I think I do. I do still want students to practice their writing. I do still want students, like these take more time and I try to be respectful of my students' time. And so when I whenever I do something that takes that kind of time, I try to like uh, offset that the next week or the next week or two.
0: Yeah. And I like how it addresses, you know, different literacies for students, you know, rather than just always writing and prioritizing, you know, the written word, we have students coming in, you know, with all sorts of different experiences, backgrounds, and, yeah, the writing might not be great, but they can communicate incredibly well verbally, right, or visually or something like that. So mm-hmm. being able to allow the students to apply those other literacies, I think, is a great thing to do. I would be curious to know a little bit more about uh, the the community engaged learning. So we talked a little bit about the, the theory variety show. Uh, and, but maybe, maybe from the angle of, you know, how did you go about you know, finding venues outside of the classroom? Or uh, what were you thinking? Because it's often hard for for faculty to kind of, especially theory folks, I think, because we don't do a, it's not a performance, right? If we had a choir or a band, yeah, of course, we're going to engage with uh, the public, we're going to go to a nursing home and play, or we're going to do these different things. We're doing theory, right? Um, And so what types of outside of the classroom um, environments and places did you kind of explore and find that were uh, successful?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think this is probably like, I I mentioned that this was a real dissatisfaction I had with this sort of, with the assignment, even though I like loved, I loved the way students were using like applied learning and in in different ways. But I just, it's uh, um, when we're doing these projects, but I, I just felt myself being very unsatisfied with well then well now what you know and yeah they could just post it to youtube or yeah they could post it to the podcast but like it's still then it just feels like posting something into the void which i I don't know like anyone who's ever yelled at 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 the twitter void for instance which i i of course never did um then that's what this
0: podcast is we're just yelling into it it's
2: the it's the best and i just feel but i but i like like I would personally I put myself in their shoes and I'm like I would personally find that very unsatisfying just being like and and it's done Um, but it's really as you mentioned it's really hard to figure out like within the context of you know a couple weeks what can we do Um, so one of the things that I did I mean the TED talk was my first attempt at this was trying to um, was trying to to get students to actually be talking to somebody Um, and I think that also gets at a, uh, it, it adds motivation to them where they are, where when they feel like, oh, I'm actually gonna be like going and pe- this will, be- someone will see this other than my professor. I think they care more. Like my students just like, they seem to really enjoy that idea. More than I thought they would, more than I thought they would. Um, so that was my first attempt. Uh, I am actually in talks right now with the, um, so, but I found I, I found that it was with the theory TED Talk, it worked really well. I will probably do it. I will probably do it again um, when COVID is, like when we can actually gather in places in, in a little bit easier of a situation. Um, so that that's been challenging. Um, but I've been talking with uh, another kind of way that I didn't write about, but I've been chatting with some colleagues. Is that I have other colleagues throughout campus that are actually doing something similar but in different fields um so for instance my history colleague uh my history colleague has has his students doing the exact same thing um and we're gonna try actually doing like a joint kind of ted talk for the school as sort of like a test run because i think the idea what we're i think the the end goal uh, is that Basically, it will be like a round robin where every class where classes vote on who gets to go forward into this like mm. university wide TED talk. Um, and like each class would submit maybe two two things. Um, and we and it would be a giant like university wide, you know, like explore uh, demonstration of what you are do of what you're doing. And admittedly, we're like we have a Missouri mandate to be the applied learning institution in Missouri. And so this is like particularly relevant for us. Um, but I think, like that sort of, that sort of idea is one thing that I'm toying with. Another one that was that I was toying with before. i, I was really mad that it didn't work out. Uh, so, I I was in talks with a choir uh, friend of mine who who ran a who ran a high school choir, and I was like, hey, you know, I've got some fundamental students. Like, what if we were to like take these these projects, and we were to use them to tutor your, to tutor your students. Hmm. In fundamentals, because she try, she has to teach, or she teaches fundamentals as part of her choir. Um, and we were going to get my students to come in and, and and use their videos, use their use their scripts, and actually like teach people, um, uh, teach people things. Uh, but of course, then everything got shut down, and we and it just hasn't happened yet. But it is like a thing that I that I am trying to do. I really want to get my students teaching theory in in the high schools, in the middle schools, um, like them, because I think they're our best ambassadors. Like I know we have to, like we, for, in, for instance, have to recruit, um, recruit students. We have to like think about how to do that. And I, as a theory professor, have always been like, how do I recruit people? Like I don't think anyone's coming, coming to see me. Um, and so like, but I think people would, if if my students can be ambassadors to what you can learn at at the university and especially because if you think about what they're doing with these projects right they're 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 choosing the topic so if they choose the topic it's something that they find interesting if they find it interesting someone else is probably going to find it interesting um and so i think like that's my that's like the next step for me is to is is to like start sending these theory ambassadors like theory tutor whether it be theory tutoring whether it be actual like we're gonna we're gonna take over your class for for a day um i just have to actually we just have to be able to actually do that <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's cool i love that i love that theory ambassador and also addresses that recruiting issue right because i think like jen and ben both you know, we like like we're not recruiting like, no one's coming to Come to you know st- study oral skills one with me probably <laughs>
2: uh, probably not I mean no. I, I I mean this is what I'm saying like some people for some people sure like I got I have a couple students who like every year there's always two or three students who are like yes I want to do theory so badly and I go who <laughs> like I mean r- respect but
1: <laughs> yeah I think forging those connections can help also in the other, the other way around. Like for example, I was talking to one of my students the other day from from Grapevine Colleyville and they were talking about, oh, well, you know, our music theory teacher from high school, she has like the series of YouTube videos. And I was like, oh, let me check them out. They were great. And I ended up sharing those with other students who, when I was in my office hour and I was kind of running short on time, there's so many people. And I said, you know what? Music theory lady on YouTube has a video on this specific thing. It's really good, you know, and I had only known about that because it's kind of what you're talking about, but the other, you know, the other direction where it right, was produced by her and her high school students then going up to some of the fundamentals um, in college. So, you know, the better we can do with, with forging that connection, gosh, and just creating good content is so good.
2: No, it's true. And we like, I got that idea actually from, we I, We had a really wonderful um an engaging admissions coordinator at uh, a a couple years ago who's a good friend of mine and she had this glorious idea during like right when the lockdown started when or or last last fall when not when the lockdown started but when everyone was trying to come back to school and everyone's still trying to like figure out like how are we learning like what are we doing and 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 how do we do online learning in particular um she had the idea that as a like an orientation um a lot of our freshmen would do would make videos to, to help out the high school and middle school teachers and like we would all like take a lesson of some kind and we'd all re, and, we, and they'd recreate it it would be kind of like a way to uh create connections and just kind of build community in the in the university and i was like this is a great idea like and i was like well what's the best thing what's the best kind of video we can make a theory video oh. yes <laughs> um <Always. laughs> exactly and so i was like we can do you know and i think i mentioned you know making a class podcast or making like a class almost like video textbook Uh, which helps Mm -hmm. both, which you could, which could be used by those, by your local, uh, teachers. But also like, again, I feel like I say things, I've got my like four or five ways to explain things, but my students always surprise me by having, you know, Mm -hmm. n number of more ways to do it. I can just keep those videos. And when a student's having trouble, I'll be like, Hey, here's your classmate explaining this to you in a way that's like designed to be understandable let's uh, let's use that and then and then that have that be like a tutor an extra like tutoring power for me
0: that's great that's awesome well this has been a blast aaron and i loved getting to talk with you and uh kind of learning more about kind of what's going on and this is a really great projects and really inspiring Mm -hmm. ideas i think uh that you have and uh, that you've been able to implement so you know check out his article it's really good what's the title of it again Cultivating career skills through public music theory and community engagement, or engaged learning. There we go. But before we let you go, we do have some rapid fire questions. We promised that we'd get get you get to those. And so, um, I'm scared. Are, uh, off the cuff, and um, these these are the the Twitter soundbite ones. All right, great, so perfect. Pithy. We're looking for mm-hmm. pithiness here. That's not uh, impossible. <laughs> <laughs> we have a second episode with just Aaron answering the rapid fire coming up. <laughs> All right. Um, Jen or Ben,
3: either of you guys want to go first? I'm ready. I have okay, one. go for it. So if you were doing your own final project, would you write an article, do a YouTube video, or make a podcast, and what would your topic be?
2: Mm. I really – I think I would do an anal- – I-, I would like to do an analysis, and I'd probably do a YouTube video because I – I'm not going to say a piece because I don't really have one off the top, off the top of my head that I that I like would love. But I like I think there's a there's an untapped potential for uh, YouTube analyses of pieces that are like really insightful and really and really thoughtful.
0: That's good. Yeah. Agree. Good. Ben.
2: Favorite topic to teach. Mode mixture, without question. It's it, you get you get awesome you get awesome music and plus like mm-hmm. I, I have like this like weird obsession with third relations. and so you know that's just <laughs> that, that I, I don't I don't understand it, but I but I absolutely adore the types of music that, that you can teach with mode mixture. and so it's just. Mm-hmm. It, it, and I think at the end of the day, I don't really care what topic I teach. I care what what piece I can bring into the into the classroom and
3: obsess over that day. Mm. Yeah, heck, yes. yeah. same.
0: Alright, and then mine I'll just, just circle back to the very beginning of our conversation. Five six four or one six four <laughs> or cat oh. six four. What,
2: whatever they want to do that day. De- no, I'm just kidding. I, 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 <laughs> I, I, I let my I, I let my students do uh, I, I mean personally I just think it's it's easier to just do either Cat Six Four or, or Five Six Four. I'm not a big fan of one six four, but um they, but I, I do really enjoy like Cat 64 as a as a label.
0: Great, great. And so as we're kind of wrapping up, maybe let's close out just with uh, telling us a little bit about maybe what you have going on um, maybe in the future and then where people can uh, find you if they want to learn more about what you're up to. Sure.
2: Future things. I think the like all encompassing thing is um, a few colleagues of, of mine, uh, Phil Ewell, Corp Palfi and Rose Abrahams and I are all writing a textbook together. Uh, that's like the all encompassing and like project at the, at the moment. And it's really Really fun, uh, especially when you're like, man, what's some like cool uh, like, I like I don't know about you, but we I spent an hour today with Rosa writing a chapter on 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 meters and we're and just like jamming out to awesome music plus. You know, you get to throw in things that are that are complete jokes. I think I threw in Mariah Carey "All I Want for Christmas," and I'm not sure, and I can't promise it'll stay in there. But it makes me laugh that it's that it's in a theory textbook, and damn it, I want it there. It belongs there. Uh, it belongs there. there you I go. did Celine, it's, I'm like, it's the number one hit of all time. Come
1: on, we can do it. <laughs> um,
2: so that's like my, you know, I'm. I, I, that's where i'm most useful as putting in stupid things into into theory textbooks um if you want to get a hold of me feel free i'm on i'm on facebook i'm on twitter i'm on i'm not really on instagram but you can you can gladly see my one post every 3 months um or just email me i'm extremely on email
0: so that's our show thank you so much for listening to note doctors the music theory and pedagogy podcast we will be back with more interviews with professors and teachers who will be dropping all sorts of theory knowledge for your education edification and enjoyment so until then bye bye